Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. On the planet. With your host, Paul Murphy, and expert coach, Nick Nanavati. Hey everybody, we are back. Thanks for joining us here in part two. My name is Paul Murphy, still got Nick Nanavati here. Always here, Paul. You can't get rid of me. And Josh Roberts. Yeah, still here too. So this is where we get into the nitty gritty, where we talk about the matchups, you know, like how you approach each and every one of these major factions in the matchups. Approach or maybe just prepare for, you know, both before and then when you get to the table. Yeah, this is my favorite hour. This is where we get to grill Josh on all the different matchups and how he plays them and figure out really the nuts and bolts to the Harlequin army, especially because as we described in part one, where Josh did such a great job, the army changes dynamically based on who it's playing and what the scenario is. So that's that sounds like some part two material to me. So here we go. Where do you want to start, Paul? I, I do. I'm going to just jump right into Tyranids. Tyranids are on everyone's mind. You either... So right now the meta is, is kind of in two camps. You either are the meta or you're trying to beat the meta. Harlequins, you know, again, if we we're having this conversation two or three months ago, very dominant. Now, you know, after some revisions, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of tactical skill, nuance, list construction, variance than what we've seen before. How do you go into a, a list, or at least a matchup where some people may consider you to be disadvantaged. Tyranids are probably the and I would say in some ways, probably the Tyranids are the hardest one because of the strength of that codex in that it has so many options that there's actually, there's multiple ways you can build the Tyranid list now that are very strong in very different ways. So I think that's that's probably the hardest challenge I find with Nids right now is that you can go down the, we've seen players doing well with the Leviathan builds who are running lots of warriors with the transhuman, the running the, the the defensive buffs on them, minus one to hit, putting five of Himvans on them, five up feel no pain. You can do the minus one damage trap. You can just stack so many defensive buffs on a model that's three wounds, toughness five, great baseline stats and all the weapon options and obsec. And a, a nine man unit comes out at 260 to 275 points, depending on what equipment they give it to it. So they've got all those big warrior blocks and then lots of other options. Or you can go down, I know John Lennon was running the Kraken build for a, a number of events. And I know that Matt Robertson in the UK has been running Kraken as well. I think similar him and John had been running similar lists then and they talked to each other quite a lot. So they were running the the heavy Ravenna builds, which the, the movement ability of those when they're moving, um, you, you've got the flat eight advance plus the the, the, to the 12 inch move. And then you've got abilities to advance and charge and the, the pressure that it's a different style of turning list. But again, the, the, the models you've taken in there are still very, very powerful for their points selection. And then there's others that are running Behemoth or or maybe Jürgmander, depending on what they prefer, because they want to run the objective secured monsters. When because when you've got a Mal Scepter that's already fantastic for 170 points, and now it's five models obsec as well. The same with your your Reaper Tyrant is deleting units. Or he happens to be five models obsec as well. It, that's again a completely different style of build because you can go so heavy in the monsters. Don't have to worry about warriors or gargoyles for scoring because most of your army is now scoring. And actually, for some armies, that's very hard to deal with um, because they can't take those toughness eight models off objectives very easily and they try and play a trading game oh and now i can't trade five harleys won't take an objective off of, of a, off one monster anymore i've got to put something else on there to take an objective i can maybe contest but it changes the way i have to trade so i think that's the 
that's why Tyranids is doing so well at the moment in that you can run multiple different high fleets with multiple different builds and they are all viable. Um, they all have, a, I mean, that the, the Reaper Tyrant, it seems to be in everybody's list. Most people are going to run the Neurothrope uh, with the different buffs. Most people are running one or two Malceptors still, even after the update. A lot of people are running the Harpies. People are running Exocrines and other units. There, there's a lot of, there is unit similarity, but how you build your list, there's a lot, there's lots of flexibility there. So from a Harley's player, what I try to look at with the Nids is okay. The Tyrant, I can't do a lot about in regards to if he's going to jump out, do his damage. At least they've taken away with the the update. You can't just take him off the board. He has to jump back now. Uh, so they can't do it with multiple units like they used to be able to do with the Raveners and a Tyrant and other units just vanishing off the board at the end of the turn. That's now in the movement phase. So that helped. But there's certain units like the Tyrant, you just have to accept it's going to do what it wants to do. And in my list building, that's why I went away from things like a big unit of void weavers or anything like that because he can do so much damage to big units then he's trading up so well whereas now he comes in he maybe hits a transport kills it jumps back it's not great for me in the trade but he's not crippled me in the same way that it can do against a big target again and this is part of the reason why i went as we talked about nick you went that combat or shooting looking at tyranids with so much t8 monsters running around i just felt the harley's combat couldn't cut it, it with now that i said i think that was a big change for the troop master losing his full rerolls to wound in combat to becoming just reroll ones to wound combat and shooting instead even the combat weapons when you're on strength four you're still wounding on sixes just the damage output i found was not good enough against the monsters so that's why i went down the shooting route the same with the the neuros they are the hit and doing a mortal wound is quite nice against Tyranids. They don't generally have, other than Catalyst, they can only give one unit mortal defense effectively. So you know that he's casted on maybe a big warrior block or a, a key monster, but his other monsters are barely vulnerable to mortal output, even with their toughness eight and their two up saves. It doesn't, it's not protecting them there. So my idea was to lean into that mortal damage, the fusion damage, the two Shadow Seers. I made sure that depending on what I'm playing, both Shadow Seers can smite and have a second mortal power. So you have the standard mortal power that most Harley players will take, which is the D3 mortals, and then the roll off, and you keep doing mortals until they beat your roll off. But the other mortal power is D3 against monsters or vehicles, which is, again is nice into the Tyranny meta, makes the minus two leadership as well, which then makes the two grenade launchers on your Shadow Seers more effective at doing mortals as well, because that's a leadership-based mortal ability. So it was all about how can I stack up the mortals to try and pick off key monsters that have two armor saves or four pin buns, and then the fusions to take out the ones that don't necessarily have that four pin bun. And then can I play the mobility game? Things like the Tyrant are hard to stop, but if they've gone down the warrior route, then I've got a mobility advantage. Can I play on a flank? Can I minimize the return damage they're going to be doing? They're probably going to have some Venom cannons coming back, but my transports are with no rerolls, only hitting on fours, and me having a four pin bun with some Harlequin rerolls available often. Actually downing my transports and options to shooting is harder than a lot of people think it is. So that was the way I was trying to play into that Tyranid matchup um, to give myself some options with my speed, my maneuverability, pick on a side or pick on a flank if I can and deal with key units. The light specific strat of being able to move a unit six inches when somebody declares a charge against you, that's really useful as well still. You can uh, position a boat in a certain way that, okay, they want to charge that. Well, I can move six inches away after that. You've got some options, but for sure, I think Tyranids are very hard to play right now. The 
the ability that they have to compete in every single phase of the game. They're not slow. Well, they can be slow depending on what build they are, but a lot of the builds have speed built into them. They do loads of damage in the psychic phase. They can have very good shooting. Their combat's exceptional. They can bully the objectives primary, and they have a good secondary options. There's a reason we're seeing seven in the top 10 or six in the top 10 type results for Nids, because they are just probably the most forgiving top army right now. So I knew going into that matchup, I'm going to have to play the best game I can, and that still might not be enough. You say forgiving, and they are. It's like, if you have a, a, a bad round of rolling, they're advantaged. So how do you make sure that when it comes time for you to strike, that you're not dealing with one of these things where you're, you're putting yourself out in the middle of nowhere and stranding yourself, and yes, they have I mean, all their pieces still there? I mean, generally, from my perspective, has always been in 40k any interaction you want with your opponent, if for your game plan to work, and it can be on a it's a game plan over all the game, but also on a turn-by-turn -turn basis is, if I need this unit to die this turn, or I need this unit to do this, or I need this unit to do this, I think you, you have to do them. You, you want to know the maths of what should happen. But then I think a good player will then stack on top of that and go, okay, it should take me uh, four, three units of Harlequins in boats, plus this and that to do that. Okay, well, actually, can I commit four or five units, as long as it's not going to cost me in other positions on the game, to ensure even with some bad dice. Now, you can't ensure for terrible dice. That happens. It's part of the game. And That's why we roll them. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, if it was all dice apps and it was all perfectly averages, it, 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 the game would lose a lot of its charm. But I think a good player will always go, okay, what do I need to achieve the objective I'm trying to achieve this turn? Can I stack it further in my favor without hurting me across the rest of the board? If the answer is yes, then you want to try and stack it in your favor. Sometimes if you're trying to chase the game because it's going badly, sometimes you can't do that. And you go, okay, well, I'm going to have to go for more difficult decisions. I'm going to have to go for, I would, I never like to say going for a Hail Mary, but sometimes when you start to have to chase the game where it's win-loss, if I lose 100 to 10 or I lose 100 to 99, it doesn't matter too much. It doesn't feel count back, but it's a win or loss system. Then sometimes you can go for those bigger plays because you need them to work. But generally, if the game is fairly even, I like to think the, the way to play is to pick out the key things that need to happen in your turn or your opponent's turn. Can I stack them in my favor? What does the math say? How do I make sure that actually I'm doing slightly better? I've got more than the maths need to without wasting too much ability. So I've not overcommitted so far that I've left myself vulnerable somewhere else. And that's the balance. Can I do that? Okay, yes. Okay, well, now I've, then I've managed to deal with the things I wanted to deal with this turn. And then you've probably got an idea of what your opponent's response is going to be. And then you can start planning your next turn already while they're doing their turn. So I think that's the general way I, I try to play with it. Actually, then that's regardless of if it's Harlequins or any other army. The Harleys just have to play that with a movement style game, which other armies might not play it in a movement way. They might be a different way they commit. Well, you've really just described is, is mitigating the impact of dice and, and trying to manipulate them so that you're not vulnerable to, oh, I rolled bad or, oh, no, my opponent rolled well and really stack specific, small, specific amounts of things in your favor as much as possible instead of trying to maximize the amount of dice you roll you maximize a few specific things happening which i think is a great approach to 40k strategically i think most top players if you watch there's so many streams out there now sure there's loads of streams of yourself nick or richard or john if you watch them play you can see that okay they've got a key thing they're trying to do this turn you can generally see okay um, they're stacking it in their favor as much as they can without weakening themselves elsewhere because they need it to succeed 
to continue their game plan through the next few turns. Exactly. Like instead of trying to roll for 5 million things where like a few will go right, a few will go wrong, and then you have to adapt to that plan, make sure one or two things goes right. And then you can very easily predict how the game will flow out. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's really awesome. I, I love that highlight. That's something we don't usually get to talk about, but I think that's a great approach to matchups in general, especially matchups that may find, you may find challenging, like the Tyranid one. What I have found really challenging about the Tyranid one, it, for Harlequin specifically, is that they just beat you on sustainability, no matter which way you slice the cake, no matter which build of Tyranid it is. You know, if they're weak, you're weak to mortals, so if they're taking Malaceptors and stuff in mass, it, it gets brutal. If it's the Kraken build, you don't have a great answer into like 15 Raveners. That's just very fast, good at killing you and tough to deal with. And Leviathan just kind of tries to stat you throughout the course of the game by being very grindy at you. In any case, Harlequin's... I have found struggle with that stat check one way or the other. So how do you deal with the sustainability issue versus Nids? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think you've hit the nail on the head, Nick, whereas that, that is the biggest issue Harlequins have with Tyranids is that, as I said at the beginning with Nids, is whichever build they go down, the book itself is so strong. Ignoring the abilities of each of the Kraken or Behemoth or whatever you're taking, the base stat lines for Nids, for their points value right now, are so good. For a lot of other armies, they probably feel like they're playing two and a half, three thousand points rather than two thousand points against Nids because they just get so much on the table and their durability is so good. I think the Harleys, that is the biggest challenge versus something like Nids. And as you say, uh, when you try and stack it in your favor, you end up looking at a, a 250 point unit and you look at the board and go i've had to commit six seven hundred points of resource maybe more to try and make sure that unit dies this turn and if my opponent's been clever and a good player will be they will try and make you pay for that trade and that's the hardest part of the nid matchup right now is that i find that the harleys have to commit more to achieve what they're trying to achieve whereas the nids don't have to commit to anywhere near as much as you do so you have to try and positioning and speed outplay the nids so they've they've maybe not committed in the right Right sections of the board and i can actually take advantage of that that's what you're trying to do to try to find the isolated units anything that you can basically take for free yeah trying to find the isolated units so they can't they can't hit back as quite as hard trying to give yourself some options if they've positioned a certain unit in such a way that you think well actually they've probably given me some options that they didn't mean to you're trying to pick up on any little positional mistakes the nids make to try and boost it in your advantage but without a doubt I think the trading into NIDs right now for almost every army is very hard. I think that's why NIDs are doing so well. No, fair enough. It, it is an uphill matchup. I just wanted to, you know, identify the crux matter of the issue problem here and give your best shot at it. So appreciate that. I mean, I can say the Tyranid army that I lost to at Goonhammer, the biggest issue I had, great list and played it really well, but we also played, as we talked about earlier, I also hit him in a hammer and anvil deployment, so the, the short board edge deployment. So it meant that I couldn't isolate him in the way that I wanted to. He could position his army across the board, and then with the threat ranges his army had, it didn't matter if his unit was on one side of his board or the other, because it's the short board deployment, he could actually still hit. Even if I went on one flank, he could still hit me back from the other, the other flank, because it's such a short deployment zone. Whereas if it had been some of the other deployments... You could have collapsed a flank a little bit more easily. Collapsed a flank a little easier or pushed him a little bit harder on some of his deployment options because he was Leviathan, which is more durable, but not as fast as some of the Kraken or other builds. So I actually could have exploited the movement more in different deployments. But that's the luck of the draw. You don't, I, 
I hit him in that mission, but I could have hit him the game before, which was a long deployment and which would be much nicer for me. So I, the there's no yeah, problem exactly. with that. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to keep the conversation moving because there's a few other armies out there besides just Tyranids. You've got some cousins, Josh. They shoot pretty hard. And as you mentioned, you're even deciding if you're playing Eldar or Harlequins at WTC based on kind of this Goonhammer tournament and some other testing you guys are doing. So clearly Eldar are doing very well. We've had Eldar on the podcast a couple times. Manny won this Goonhammer event with uh, Hail of Doom Army. And, you know, they're, they're pretty fast and shooty also. What is your approach to this style of Eldar? That game can be a very tight game. The damage output that the Eldar has is higher. I'd say they're, the way they can stack the, the damage and their options, they just do more damage. The, the Harleys won't trade straight damage effectively. But the way my list is designed is I don't have those big targets in the same way. So he's not deleting a big unit with Doom and, and Jinx, which is is one of the a key thing for that Eldar list. And Guide is an effective versus you also. But it's nowhere near as effective. I mean, he can do it on a transport if he wants, for sure. But he's probably going to get that transport anyway. He just does it slightly quicker. So I, I'm not giving him, we should say, a big unit of Void Weavers. He would definitely be able to do that against. He'd just go, he could stack his his buffs on those units and then start deleting much quicker. And then, interestingly, the damage output that I do have with all the shuriken from the, the boats, if I get to target the Eldar units, actually is pretty decent against Eldar. I think that's the that's the one difference. The, the, the shurikens against Tyranids, as we just talked about, him being toughness eight with a two-up save, even with eight boats, I don't actually necessarily do that much damage. I'm hoping for sixes to wound to get the, the AP three, then I'm putting him on a worse save, but otherwise he's on a th- any fives to wound, he's probably still on a three-up save, etc. The warriors, he can make minus one damage, and then the shurikens aren't doing anywhere near the same damage. But I think Eldar and Tyranids are right at the top of the meta, and you can argue which is better. It's just that I think the Eldar maybe has slightly more potential, but the skill cap is much higher as well. If you if you misplay a unit with Eldar, you can lose a whole unit very quickly. They're not very survivable. If you can catch Eldar out, you can start doing some real damage. And I think that's where the Harleys have a much closer game into the Eldar. Is that, I was going to ask, is there a way for you to engineer that, like to give them no well, good options and have them be risky with some of these large yes, units? Yeah, so the, in, in, the hardest units, if they've got good terrain, the hardest units for the Harleys to deal with is the the swooping hawks because they can effectively trade without having to trade if that makes sense in that they they come out they they do their damage and then they just deep strike back into where they want to yeah they don't trade they take is how i like to say it yes exactly and if you can't threaten that block of terrain wherever they're hiding or whatever they're doing they are a real problem all the other units though generally the damage output is massive but they do have to trade you can with with the Harley's 22 inch move. So the boats can still, even if I'm not used to shooting the pistols, you can still move a boat 22 inches and fire at Shuriken as normal because they count as stationary. So you can start, depending on the terrain, you can start threatening. The elder have to be very careful about okay, wh- how far forward do I push on terrain? Because can he jump over the terrain and start clipping me in a way that a slower army wouldn't be able to see me? I find it's a much cagier game, and it comes down to small decisions about can I deny primary. This match strikes me as so dangerous for both armies because both of you are so fast and you're not tough. Neither of you are that tough when compared to each other's damage output because Eldar is so damage capable and you you know they're also made of paper so your moderate damage will just destroy them because you're so f- you're almost identical in speed you're 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 functionally identical in destructive capability when you do get line of sight to somebody how do you actually play 
the game? Because when I feel like, is it just whoever goes first wins because they get line of sight and blow you up? Is there a trade war that starts to happen? Is it so table line of sight dependent? Like what's the factors here? Yeah, so I, th- I think the key is first the table and then that will determine what style of game it is. I think if it's a light table and there's not much line of sight blocking on the tables, then yes, that first turn becomes massive because if the other army can't hide very well, the amount of damage you will both do to each other, whoever goes first, can be a knockout blow, effectively. I mean, the as you said, the Eldar will do, can do so much damage, and the range of that damage is probably, a lot of people think it's quite short-range, but it's actually not very short-range with the Eldar, particularly when you can redeploy units onto the front line. Those jet bikes are moving 22 and are still firing at full effectiveness. The Hawks have got their movement, and then, what, this 24-inch range on the Hawks. So the actual threat ranges will cover the whole board virtually, if for both armies with the movement and shooting speed that if the terrain is light it becomes a, f- a first turn game which is never the, is never an ideal game because you, you never really want to win or lose a game on no. on the and, roll and terrain across the world from what i've seen is really up to standards so hopefully light terrain boards and these one turn games will happen less and less frequently but i'm really interested in like if it's a you know terrain mod or like a good amount of terrain on the table where armies can hide and there's a caginess element to it how do you initiate this game the way that Goonhammer worked was a slightly odd way of doing it. So they did strength of schedule as their pairing system. So one, it was when you lost, you paired. So it meant that people get got separated. Rather than doing most most events, will often do the, uh, for this size anyway, I think the bigger events, you can do strength of schedule easier. But for an event which was just over 100 people, the strength of schedule system was probably not the best choice. You'd have probably been better doing the victory points count back instead. Um, but what it meant was, so I, I won my first four games and then I played the Tyrannian army that I lost to round five. And then there was three players undefeated going into round six. And then because I'd lost round four, I got paired up into the those three. So I ended up playing Manny round six anyway. So even though I'd lost my game five, I ended up having to play Manny anyway on table one, which was a bit of an odd situation. But and even if I beat Manny, I could only finish fourth. I couldn't I couldn't leapfrog any of those three because oh, I'd lost game. Yeah, that's an annoying feeling. Mm. Yeah. So it's it was a bit of an odd system. So I actually played this matchup last game. So um, me and Manny have played it a few times, or and I've played it a few other times as well against other opponents. It is if the terrain is good, it becomes very cagey. It is if if one person tries to push too early, they just they'll lose big because they can't if you can't see enough of your opponents do enough damage, then they they effectively get to alpha strike you and then the game ends. So you have to start playing that trading game and the bit that's the hardest for the Harley player is if you have to play the trading game is the Hawks, as, as I said at the beginning. That's the one area that makes the trading game hard for Harleys. Yeah, how do you get them? Well, you, you effectively, you, it's very hard to get them. Uh, and then it means that the Eldar player can can trade not they can't trade with everything because you depending on how many mission how many objectives you're playing over and other options but they have a section of the board where they can go i'm actually not having to trade with you i'm just you're feeding me a unit a turn or two units a turn depending on what where they are to to deal with with the hawks but i'm not in threat of losing the hawks in return so that's that's the hardest bit about that matchup for the harleys i feel from the eldar players perspective i feel like the kind of counterpoints that you have that i don't have it's kind of similar to how i have hawks that you don't have, right? That you don't, they take, they don't trade. You have your troop master, which we always talk about how he projects this ridiculous threat range, but it scares people. I am made of paper. I'm not Terminators. I'm not going to take threes from this thing and it's not going to be that bad. It's going to kill like an yes, entire exactly. unit of jet bikes. Is that a factor to this game plan? 
in. Yes, for sure. And the same with the the Solitaire's threat range as well is a, is a similar threat for you. He's not quite got the same speed as the Troop Master, but when he blitzes, it's not far off. So, and again, he's getting 10 attacks when he comes in on a blitz and he can he can really cripple a unit. So that's 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 why it becomes so cagey in that you've got those two combat threats which the Eldar don't have in the same way. The Eldar have probably got, a lot of people are running a unit of Banshees out of a Wave Serpent, and they're doing the guaranteed six-inch advance with their, their dice. They have got a, they have got a threat there. Oh, oh, quite a few people are running the, the three Shining Spears with the with the Mortal Wound Exarch with the Paragon Saber. That's quite, Again, that's another option they have there. And then I know you've got Baroth as well, who's jumping around and can charge after after he does his uh, redeploy. But often, he is often one of their two the last, so probably he's not going to be doing that. It's just the two other combat threats. So yes, that, that is the the Hawks have the advantage uh, for the Eldar in that they can shoot without having to trade. But then the Eldar player, as you say, has to be wary of some of the combat threats that the Harleys can put out, which you don't have the same obvious uh, options to. So it, it, it becomes a really tight game then. Yeah, like little things, it'll probably like a low, like a, a very tight game on the scoreboard as well. Second turn will be a big advantage. Whoever gets like the specific terrain in the right spots, just playing playing KG, looking for mistake opportunities and being able to capitalize with your very fast movement. Yes, exactly. Well, and that's exactly where it ended up with myself and Manny in that the game was very, very tight. It, it wasn't one of those. Some I know some t- some games with that Elder Army, the damage output so crazy that it, it feels like after one or two turns, you, you've done so much damage that your opponent's sort of like, I, I can't really do anything now. Whereas because we had to play so cagey, it went right down to turn five. And it was it was about, can I deny his secondaries? Can I deny his primaries? He was trying to do the same to me. And I think the score was like 79 91 or something like that so it was a it was a pretty tight game right until the end as you said that last turn was big because you could get a that four point boost effectively on the the going second you could jump onto more objectives mm-hmm. sounds like a really good game though yeah it was really good yeah. um it was, it was very tight so i think that game for the harleys is actually a much tighter game the tyrannids is a harder overall game just because you, as you say that trade is hard because they're so they their units are so efficient right now. All right, Josh, we've lined you up for it with some of the strongest armies in the game, as you pointed out. How about some of the not strongest armies in the game? I want to talk about maybe the most common, Space Marines. You know, they're oh, coming. throwing that shade there. Space Marines got a lot of options. Yeah, you know what, Paul? How are your Blood Angels feeling? Uh, I mean, Blood Angels doing better than some uh, Harlequins list. No, Blood, Blood Angels I'm, are, no, I'm just kidding. You know I'm going to always side with the Blood Angels. I, I know, I know. I got to throw the shade. Uh, no, but seriously, <laughs> Space Marines have been doing a lot better. Armor of Contempt has done wonders for them as we're seeing across the board and now they have so many variety of builds thousand suns great knights bringing up the psychic side they're just seeing dark angels come out of the woodworks with their terminators blood angels even actually putting up really yeah, good if results. we can like you yeah, to compartmentalize this a bit of you know, let's talk maybe about close combat marines armies that are, are stationary almost like bricks uh, and then we'll kind of shift towards the psychic marines definitely. if you can with this list mm-hmm. yeah for sure i mean i think as, as nick said there this the armor of contempt has definitely opened up a, a number of options for a number of different armies and it is a marines but it's power armor in general of their of their chaos and imperial variety i mean the thousand sons have benefited from the the armor of contempt for sure because they've got their their effectively double stacking armor of contempt with their own rule which is the plus one save against one damage so they've, they've got like a double benefit there the 
We've seen a bit more Death Guard come out because Death Guard got the Armor of Contempt and then they made all the Terminators obsec in the balance update. That was a that, that was a significant change for those lists because now they could start running Terminators on as objectives secured on objectives, which changed some of their options. As you said there, I think Blood Angels benefited from Armor of Contempt. In some ways, you could argue maybe they were one of the bigger benefits for the combat Marines for sure because they have the Sanguinary Guard, which already have the, the two-up save. And I think, I think Armor of Contempt combined with the two-up save is where it really starts to get more noticeable because then you can be on like a one-up save in cover ignoring the first AP. It starts, you can stay on that two-up save much longer, whereas Armor of Contempt on three-up saves is not quite as powerful, I found, at least in my in playing against a number of matchups Definitely. using the armor, with the Armor of Contempt now. So anything that has that two-up save that you can start stacking on Armor of Contempt with and cover or other benefits, that's why the Thousand Suns Terminators are liking it. That's, I think, like you said there, Nick, why the Deathwing for Dark Angels have come out a bit more because they can have they don't need to take the storm shields in the same way anymore they can save a lot let's of points let's talk about like the death wing and the death guard like how you would approach that specifically like to narrow it down like yeah. those those are what i consider the tanky i mean i guess you know of course yeah so i mean i actually sons are also tanky but that puts us in a different category so how would you approach the the tanky builds let's just for clarification let's put thousand sons aside because they kind of play like their own yeah. separate psychic game so they'll just you know terminators yeah, Thousand Suns are slightly different. They're not quite as tanky, but they have more options. Movement and psychic and shooting is it slightly different for them than the other two. But yeah, I mean, you can... the, the An interesting one, I played Death Guard first game, um, and that was a tough... It, it, it's an interesting one. For Harleys, I had to play all about the movement game against them. You, the particularly Death Guard, where they go, I've got Armor of Contempt, I've got my Toughness, I've got your, I've got the, they've got the minus one damage as well. Most of their Terminators, they're all Obsec now. They're on a four up Invun for most of them. They just stack so many defensive buffs. And not that I have a lot of combat, but often the Death Guard will be running the, the Fight Last bubble and the fight last option. So you, if you if you're wanting to engage with them, it's probably not going to go very well for you. A direct on engagement, but they still have that weakness of that their their mobility is so much less than something like Harlequins or Eldar. That was the game I had to play in that I accepted. Am I going to kill lots in a in a turn? No, I'm. There's they're just too durable, too tough. Well, okay, looking at his army, what are the units that I can kill for to reduce his unit count? He he has to be stretched thinner. So all the pox walkers I can deal with quickly using the boats and the speed and the mobility to get line of sight and angles. So I I, I can remove the pox walkers and then yes, he's got lots of the he's got he had two big ten man terminator blocks and then three three man uh, of the the other terminators which are the, the death rounds. Yes, the death rounds. Okay, well, if he now wants to play, because he'd taken sitting on th- multiple objectives, he wanted to play that stranglehold game. Okay, well, I've, I've killed your cheaper chaff units, if you want to call them chaff units. You're now going to have to start playing and splitting. You can't just keep as a complete block for your army. And then I'm going to pick on a zone just to try and, okay, how many boats? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to put three, four, five boats worth of Harlequin troops with fusions and the mortal pistols to kill three terminators maybe that might be i might have to stack it that far but because of your movement limitations i actually know okay well i can really um go extreme on one flank i can leave some just a troop unit on on a back objective that you can't necessarily hit if you've not got the right options i think that's the still the main issue with an army like death guard or death wing in that if they go to it's temp people are tempted to go so far down that 
durability route that they are very durable. They play to the last really well. They can sit on some objectives very well, but they struggle to engage their opponent on terms that aren't dictated by their opponent. And I think that's where they, they end up losing the game. Because even if even though they're super durable, if everything you do is on your opponent's terms, you're probably going to lose out in that matchup. I, I found the same thing to be true when you're playing such a fast army against Death Guard or, or Death Wing for that matter, just the same kind of hyper-durable army that just is slow. Do you find that the army gets to be way too challenging for you on like a five-objective mission? Because then they can just sit on three objectives and score 12s and deny you stranglehold. You may have to go for engage or something like that. But you're getting annihilated on primary. Is there is that mission dependent, or do you have a plan regardless? Yeah, so I, I think that's the that is the harder game when they can. You say if it's a five objective mission, particularly if it's something like um, if you end up playing scouring, where the objectives are more central. So then they can the, the they can they can try and keep their bubble, if you will, and still be within threats of of the of three objectives. But then the 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 game ends up often being okay. I'm I'm still going to play uh, my my secondaries, which are not related to you, um, and then I'm just going to have to trade to to try and keep the primary closer. Um, and as I said, sometimes sometimes objectives and letting them die. Yeah, you just chuck that. Sometimes I'm going okay. Here's five more harlequins on that objective that I know are going to be horribly butchered next turn, but they're not going to charge you. They're just going to sit there. I'm just going to take. I'm going to. I'm. I'm going to contest the objective this turn, or take it this turn, and then I'm going to lose it. And then they try to block you the objective, but you are slowly chipping away. That eventually you start coming off. They haven't got enough to start blocking with, and then you can continue to contest. Um, but yes, for sure, when it's less objectives, and if they are forced to be closer together, that's the hardest setup to play that type of durable arm because then they don't they don't have to worry as much about trying to engage you because they're just going to go well these i'm going to play for these three objectives um and you you're going to have to deal with me that is their that's their strength and that's probably their strongest mission setup but i think part of the the reason those armies will struggle to win a major event is because in other missions if they can't do that and they can't dictate how their opponent reacts to them they're always reactive then you're you're generally in a losing battle if you're having to react constantly. Yeah. And also being like move five, you, when you have to react and you move five, you just can't. So that sucks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's talk about a faster style of Space Marine Army, one that maybe can react to you and also poses the same, similar problems with Armor of Contempt. I'm thinking specifically like Blood Angels with lots of sanguinary guards, the heroic interventions, very tough army. Or maybe even Space Wolves doing something similar with their six-inch heroic, something like that that just kind of sits on the objectives, is tough, and can also chase you down. Yeah, I mean, I punch comparably, too. I mean, like, it's, it's kind of hard to get the advantage there. Yes, for sure. I mean, I think, interestingly, Blood Angels, if they go heavy into sanguinary guard and those types of units, I think that because you've got now a speed, not you still don't have a speed advantage. Uh, I think the Harleys are still faster than you, but your speed is much more comparable. That the Harleys can't just pick, try and pick on a flank, and then be, oh well, uh, those five-inch moving terminators are not going to catch me this turn, so I can almost ignore them. You can't do that if if somebody's running twenty, thirty sanguinary guard, and they're all fairly reasonably close to each other. Well, if I come in to deal with one unit, I might kill one unit, and then I'm getting charged by two others. I can't, I can't do that trade in the same way. So I think that's actually a much harder game. And I know, interestingly, looking at the different metas across Europe, I know since the Armour of Contempt, there's a guy in Germany that's been running that sanguinary guard style list and has been doing well into into Harleys. He's actually been not won every game he's played into Harleys, but he's had he's definitely beaten a fair number of Harley players 
using that style of list because it plays well into that. The trading, you can't just pick on a flank. It's got so much mobility. I know he has been struggling though with the new Tyranids, so he might be reassessing what he's using at the current events. But I, I saw him do quite well at a number of events into Harley's since the Armour of Contempt came out. So I think that is actually, for my style list, for sure is a much harder game to play because the, the Shuriken Cannons, when the he's on a one-up save if he's in cover, unless you're rolling a six to wound, he's still getting his two-up save against uh, your saves. If he's got the the Apothecary, which they, all, they always have, he's got his Feel No Pain as well, so he can start messing with your two damage. You don't do a lot. The only way you do a lot is when you come in and commit with fusions and the neuros, uh, but they're often for blood angels, they're running the warlord trait, which gives them the five up feel no pain against uh, mortals. So again, the neuros are not quite as effective as you'd hope them to be. The fusions are good, but again, it's such a short range that then it gives the blood angels player the chance to to counter. Uh, so you have to be very clever. I think with the Harleys, you're positioning about how you position your boats to ensure you can't get surrounded easily because you don't want to be losing. If you've come in to shoot from boats, you don't want to be giving away free Harley units where he surrounds a boat with a, with a, a unit of Vanguard veterans or a unit of his Sanguinary Guard, blows up a transport, and then most of you guys can't get out. That's a, that's a really bad trade from a Harley's perspective. You've got to make sure that you're using your positioning to block and try and at least okay can i come in do some damage he hits my boats i lose boats but then i then my harleys get to to hit again and do some do more damage with the shooting and then combat and then i can start tipping it in my favor but yes if you're not careful and you give them some silly uh, rap opportunities silly from the harlequin perspective then it can go downhill very fast how do you deal with the fact that you can't reasonably do that much damage to him in shooting and if you're in shooting range with like fusion guns and neuro disruptors, you're just getting charged. Yeah, that that is the that's the hardest bit. So that's what you have to. I think you have to try. And again, it's seeing what else is in the list. If they've got support units like Vanguard veterans and other units, can you hold off committing uh, a little bit earlier and try and deal with some of the support that maybe isn't on that two up save naturally? Because a lot of a lot of people now are dropping uh, shields off their Vanguard veterans to save points because they want the armor of contempt, and you don't get the armor of contempt if you've got your storm shields, so, which actually helps in a lot of ways for the for the Eldar. So you you've got some options there. Can you try and get rid of his support so that when you do commit, you don't get overwhelmed? But you have to balance that with if I wait too long, does his primary score and his secondary score start racking up too high that I can't catch him? That's so a great point. It's a, it is a difficult, uh, I think of the Marine builds right now, I would say something something along those lines for something like Harlequins um, who don't have the the damage output that their their Eldar cousins do with all with the with because you got you have the the inherent AP bonuses with the things like Dire Avengers are already naturally on a better AP and then you've got you you've got Doom so you can you can start getting those sixes to wound much easier and of course Hail of Doom is just giving you sixes on your hits as well. It's a it's a it's a very different equation with how much damage you can do so for me i have to play the cage early try and reduce their supporting surrounding options and then deal with the the things like sanguinary guard which are very difficult and accept that i'm i'm going to take a lot of damage coming back in but can i minimize so i can go can i kill a unit can i minimize the amount of damage he does to my actual troops do i have to sacrifice a number of boats to 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 minimize the way he can charge and then if then if i can hit again with the troops can I snowball? It's in my favour, but for certain, it's not a not an easy uh, matchup at all in that respect. 
No, I can I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah, in both these archetypes, you've been describing like a fair amount of discipline and also looking not just at the table, but also referencing the scoreboard of uh, of like when to make some plays and, and feel like you have to do certain actions, not actions in the game, but movements with your pieces, maneuvers with your pieces. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for any player that's wanting to to get better at the game or and and be more mindful of their game is that I think you should always know at any point of the game what the score is and what your score differential is. What your score is, what your opponent's score is. So however you track that, if it's in an app or you have a you do it on a pen and paper, whatever your method is. I and mean, I have a scrub clean laminated sheet that I with a marker pen that I mark. It's mark all the scores on as I'm going through for myself and my opponent. I let them do the same as well so we can make sure that at the end we tally. But I want to know exactly where I am in each at any point in the game. Okay, am I three points ahead, four points behind? Where am I uh, looking at his secondaries? Is he likely to score those in his turn when he's doing movement? You can start. You can be thinking about the scoring potential for both of you for the next few turns. Okay, well, actually, probably I'm going to do this in my turn. He's probably going to do this. That'll probably put him on this sort of score. I'll put me on this sort of score. Is that good? Okay, I'm still ahead. I'm I'm comfortable here. Or no, actually, that's starting to look difficult for me now. Okay, well, I can't I can't wait another turn to do what I need to do against that blood angel. For example, I've got to commit. Um, because if if I don't commit, if I can, if I leave it another turn, even if it goes well, I've left it too late now, and actually the game's past me. If if that makes sense, of he's already racked up too many points to catch. So I think for any player that wants to be getting better at the game and, and playing well, is that knowing where you are in the game at any point is is really important because then you can really see okay. You can start to adapt then if you need to. And as I said, I don't like to make do some of those Hail Mary stuff if I don't have to. I'd rather stack it in my favor and meticulously score the points I want to score and try and limit my opponent. But sometimes there'll come a point if you're in a difficult matchup where, okay, now I've, I've got to go for this or I've got to go for that. What you're describing right now is actually, a, it's a point prediction, which we literally teach you how to create uh, in our boredom strategy sessions. I take two scenarios every week and like army A, army B, what their list is, what their premises are, what the deployment terrain is, lay it all out there, pick secondaries and predict the whole game out there. It's an amazing skill. It'll transform how you play 40k and how you do it 40k. So if that's not something you're doing, always being aware of the scoreboard and trying to learn how it works. Uh, I can't stress the importance of that enough. Great shout, Josh. Yeah, it's big. And I mean, I think to to add to that, for us, when it comes to team events, we drill that even more into our players because at the a team event is not purely win-loss. It's on differential, as you know, Nick. So it's how big you win the game by. The difference in points is as important. You winning, if you win 89-86, it's a 10-10. So actually, from a team, it's a draw. It's not really a win. Whereas in a singles, 89-86 is a win. You you move on to the next round, you're still undefeated. So for, for us, from team events, whereas if you win the game 89 40 then you've won 19-1 because of the different differential well that's a huge result for the team so like every point matters in a team setting which is not it does matter in a single setting the end for the end result if you win by five points or 25 points it doesn't it doesn't matter as much yeah i think that's a a great nuance to the team format is is like even when you're losing like lose lose not so badly and it helps your whole team out. i love that aspect yes exactly so then we've had to you really drill into your your team Okay, I, what is your score? What you think it's going to be? Because also then, like you guys have done as well, you've done it before, Nick, is we'll go round the round and I, 
I need a prediction from every player because I need to know, are we winning the round? Are we losing? If we're losing, do I need to tell some players to push? So that that prediction needs to be accurate. Yeah, super important stuff there. A couple more matchups I want to get through before I let you go, Josh. We had floated around Thousand Suns and Grey Knights about how they, you know, psychic space marine type armies could could differ in how you play against them. You identified Blood Angels as the most challenging archetype, but how do you approach these psychic heavy armies? They pose some unique challenges. Yeah, they do. So I think the Thousand Suns are their lists generally look very similar i mean it, you're not seeing a lot of variety right now so it's generally some people will go all the way up to three big blocks of terminators but but i think that limits you a little bit you start running out of enough options you don't have the trading ability in quite the same way because you invested so heavily in terminators but it, it is a list that can work for sure i mean i, I also saw it was one of you, one of the big events in the u.s somebody was running the two big units of terminators and magnus i had the pleasure of playing against that it nearly got me yes yeah, exactly. So that's a bit different. But generally, most people seem to be running two big blocks of 10 uh, and then supporting psychic casters. Normally, Araman is a, a buffing character because he gets his rerolls to make them reliable. Another caster, which is your damage output caster. And then depending on what they like, X number of troop units, some spawn, maybe some rhinos, etc. To give you give them some trading and to, or to cheaper options to jump onto objectives that isn't a 10 man 450 point terminator unit. So I think the the big the big difference between those two for something like Harley's is do they some people still go time, which I think is a mistake. Some uh, most I've now swapped to duplicity as pure, and I think duplicity is the better way to go. The time is is maybe a trap in that people think they're more survivable, and they are because you have more. They, they are a more survivable option, but actually the the redeployment options with duplicity in the I think the way the current game plays that that changes that Thousand Suns list from if you play time in a lot of ways. It has a few more options, but it plays a lot like the Deathwing we discussed or the Death Guard. Yeah, you're learning more into your durability than you are your teleportation. Yeah, you've leaned, you've leaned into your ability. You've got your crystal that can move one unit. So there is always that option. But once that's used, if you can try and tease that out of your opponent and get them to use it early in a situation that's probably not the most optimal situation, then they're, they've just gone down the route like those other builds. And you can argue, while their damage is probably better, if you're really wanting to go down the durability route, Thousand Suns is not the best one to go for. You might as well have played Death Guard or uh, Deathwing, they do it. They do that route better if that's the style you want to play. Right. So if you're playing against the duplicity build, though, you know, like with all the teleportation, because I feel like that'll be the challenging one for your Harlequins. And also, yes. I want to yes. point out, we have said the word redeploy approximately like 17,000 times uh, during the scope of both segments of this show. So when you see an ability like that in your codex, or your opponent has an ability like that, be on the lookout. Yes, I think that's a very good point. And I'm surprised, so uh, we're about to talk about them in a minute, but Grey Knights have a similar ability, and not everybody takes it, and it always surprises me when I see an army that doesn't have the redeploy option for Grey Knights, because it, again, it is such a strong ability that if you can take it, because theirs is one, it's an upgrade to take rather than a strat, um, but if, if it's an option in your list, it's such a powerful ability that I think any army that can do it, it's it's a great trick to have in your in your arsenal of playing the game because the game is objective based and as much as damage is important, so is mobility and 
claiming those objectives. Definitely. So how do you actually approach like step-by-step against like a a Thousand Suns army that is using its mobility or a Green Knight's army that's using Gate of Infinity? I keep lumping them together because I think functionally they they play pretty similar. They're both Space Marines pretty tough. A lot of Storm Bolter type shooting, which Harlequins don't really appreciate. 24 inches, both capable of teleporting, psychic actions, all that stuff. So it it definitely highlights the nuances if there are some between the two. I would say the Grey Knight game is the easier of the two games and the, the reason i would say that is the thousand suns the advantage they have is i think their their psychic damage output is, is a little bit better so the mortal damage and harlequins innately don't like the mortal output gray knights can do it but it's not in this i tend to find they're not in the same degree of scope you've got the librarian that does a lot he comes in course but the the way that the thousand suns can manipulate with the damage output and they're they're getting the plus one to cast and they get their abilities whereas the grain has to get the plus one to deny i tend to find the thousand suns mortal output is the scarier of the two and that scares harlequins i find more because other than you take the the laughing god's eye relic which is a is a must take now i think for harlequins that gives you the a six inch bubble from one of your shadow seers a five up against uh, mortal damage and that is, it's not core unit, so it affects your boats as well. So I think that's a, that is a key relic you need to be taking in your Harlequin list. Um, but other than that, you don't have much defense directly against the mortal damage. So that is hard to play around. And I think one of the other things that the Grey Knights generally give up, and not particularly for the Harlequins, but the other one that the Grey Knights generally give up, the uh, Abhor the Witch secondary for a lot of armies, easier than Thousand Sons. Thousand Sons is actually a bit of a trap for most armies to try and take that, because you don't generally get it with the two Terminator blocks and the characters. Uh, my, uh, Of course, my Harlequin list can't take it because I've got Shadow Seers, but that is one I know that in a lot of matchups, people will take that against that if they can. Um, and the Grey Knight one is often quite easy to do. The, the I think the Thousand Sun one is more of a trap than people realize it is. But both the mobility is a problem. The gate, gating round it is, a, is a concern. The, the, big, the big thing is how do I play around the different builds? So the, luckily, the one with Grey Knights, if they go down the Dread Knight route, the Dread Knights didn't get Armor of Contempt, which hurt them a lot. Uh, if they'd got Armor of Contempt, that would have been a big difference. So you, you do have more play into the Dread Knights because the Shurikens actually are putting them on a three-up save on his four up if you're rolling the sixes to wound so you can actually start doing some damage to them they don't have the damage reduction that thousand suns potentially have on their terminators to shooting so it's i I find the grainer army is an easier game to play the thousand suns is the tougher one because it's so i don't the combat i don't have which is actually where the thousand suns fall apart more than gray knights do is that thousand suns if you've got multiple damage three combat options that's where thousand suns really struggle because they they can't protect their terminators in the same way they their strat to do the minus one damage is only shooting so as soon as you start getting into those terminators with damage three options they start to fall apart very very quickly i can do that with the the true master has it but his ap2 means that the terminators are getting a decent amount of saves you can also use the strat on the solitaire to make him damage three as well uh, because he can't even though he doesn't have the he has his own solitaire weapon he does get the keyword for all three of the harlequin special weapons so he can use the he can use the ignoring buns if he wants to not that it would you would against thousand suns but you can also do his you can buff his damage up to three with the other strat so you do have some three damage threats but they won't pick up a big unit of Terminators. They will. Uh, they can finish off a Terminator unit that you've fusioned and mortaled, maybe. But again, you've got to commit into doing that. So that's the that's the hardest part of that matchup. But the with the Thousand Suns, 
unlike, say, the Blue Angels we talked about earlier, they don't have the combat threat in the same way uh, to come back into you with a speed. So if you can use your mobility with the Harlequins and pick on a Terminator unit, the, the minus one damage isn't amazing against fusions when you're D6 plus two. It becomes, it's, not, it's probably not worth them spending three CP to be D6 plus one because you're still killing a Terminator on a two plus. So they probably won't waste it there. So you can start picking up the damage. But the deep strike options, if you make a mistake with that and you let Terminators come in in a position where they can punish you, it's, it is horrible. So that is, I agree, that is one of those matchups where you positioning is key and checking. I think if you are trying to deep strike block, whenever you're playing an opponent that has lots of deep strike options, definitely you should always measure it out carefully. And then I always get my opponent to agree. I say, look, I've, I'm doing my movement phase. I'm trying to block this area out. And I get them to agree with me as I'm doing it. So there's no contentious. I love that. Yeah, the discussing of intent there. Because like, if you're just silently measuring your deployment zone for 20 minutes and moving models without telling your opponent anything and playing a one-sided conversation, then it gets to be your opponent's turn. He finds a small little nook and cranny and blows you up from it. That sucks, man. You messed up. If your intention, though, or you're like, hey, man, I am blocking out everything. I'm moving very deliberately to get this done. Do you agree that I blocked out everything? Do you, can you see a spot that I missed? Because I'll just fix it right now. And, and then, you know, just want to make sure in case the table gets bumped or something that I'm not missing a spot get that conversation agreement from your opponent and you're good to go that's a big part of 40k yeah i think so i mean because this as you said the t- table a table can get bumped terrain piece can get knocked and it moves models around so when you when you're doing something very specific like deployment blocking and particularly with with something like harley's or eldar you've got the movement it's not that hard to do from a speed perspective it's not like other armies like if you're playing that Deathwing army and it's only moving five inches a turn well you're probably not going to block off that much of the board because you've you've not got you've not got the reach to start blocking off necessarily where you want to you could block off maybe a key point but something like the harley list which everything can move 22 inches or you can get units out going 11 inches plus an advance to and then spread out a five-man unit etc you've got lots of options to block but yes i i think for any game discuss things like that with your opponent and then they know what you're trying to do but and before can... it gets tricky you know? yeah. it's, well, it's better to and i mean if somebody if somebody chooses they don't want to play the game that way it's a, it, it, i don't know that i've ever met anyone who's like if i go in with good faith like hey man let's have a great game and i try to have that intent conversation where i'm putting it out up front that i want to play it this way i don't think i've ever had the experience someone is like no screw you we're going to be hard asses some people you know tape backs and all that there's a different side to it there's degrees but i don't think yes, i've yeah. ever experienced like total opposite energy to, to giving off a good vibe no because i think because we all accept that this it is a game and we're not it's not like we're playing for a million dollars in a on a game of poker or something like that it's not that style of game it's a different style of game yeah and there are some events that have you you maybe can win a cash prize if you the itc i know if you win overall there, i think there is a cash prize for that and there's maybe you might win a nice trophy but generally we spend a lot. Well, more. we're talking about a collaborative experience, cooperative experience yes, with exactly. the person on the other side of the table, but we're still in a competition setting. So, yes, you know, exactly. having these discussions goes a long be, way. Most people would ra- want to win because they outplayed you, not because they went, oh, I got you. That's exactly I think that's right. not necessarily. Yeah, that's not the way that most people want to win because it's just not. It's not an experience that you, you, you walk away from that table and go, "Oh, that wasn't that wasn't great." Was it? We we agreed, and then he's now not agreed that or something like that. So you want no asterisks next to your wins. Everybody I've played generally, if you if you make it clear what you're trying to do, 
it, it is the best way to play. And it's the same with even things like, oh, I'm, I want, I'm trying to charge this character out of this uh, boat. Well, okay, we agree the distance before I even move the model. We agree the distance between my my transport and the unit I'm trying to charge. Okay, well that is 22 inches away. Well, I, then I know. There, there here's there, my. During tournaments, people always come up to me and like, I can't believe you just like walked away during your opponent's moon phase. I do that all the time. I, like, go to get distracted and talk to somebody next to me, or go grab a drink, or go take a piss, or whatever. And the reason I feel totally confident knowing against a total stranger that they won't cheat me is that they can't really do it because I've already pre-measured everything, had that verbal confirmation about everything. I'm not going to come back to the table and a model move 14 inches, not 12, because even if it did, we know what the charge was. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I play the same way. So yeah, I know that I'm pretty comfortable about, we agree this, oh, that's that far away, that's this far away. Have I screened this? And the same with my opponent, oh, I've screened off your, you've got a unit in reserve that's trying to rod next turn. Well, I've screened off your my, my quarter. Okay, cool. I'll have a look and check and I might go uh, do this unit You've left like a 12 inch gap here. You need to move it more. And that might mean, oh, well, now I can see that unit to shoot it next in my turn because you've, you've had to come out of your, your terrain. I know that we're, we're super deep in the weeds, you know, with your more general topics here, but these yeah, are just good sure, principles yeah. to have on, on any game table, especially as you get deeper in the rounds. Definitely. Honestly, Paul, that kind of we've we've gotten on deep in the weeds, but we really wrapped up my my Q and A's for Josh about what how he plays his different armies. Any other armies you wanted to ask about? No, I think in the interest of time, you know, we have covered a bunch. You know, and there's it's it's cool that this army, even when you know, I think we considered like kind of the unconventional build of it, can still survive and thrive out there in the environment. And we know the environment's getting tough right now. I think it's super exciting to see Harlequins uh, playing a more traditional style, I'll say, in that there's a lot of troops. It's playing janky. It's just trying to find ways to win with creative play. And, you know, the fact that they're doing well playing stylistically the way they should, I think that's really awesome. And even in the face of the Tyranid Menace or Eldar, other great factions. So kudos to you, Josh. Well done. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that is exactly how Harlequins always used to play. They had the blip with the Void Weavers, but that's not how they played. And I think now, to be fair to GW, they they did a good job on. I think they realised, okay, there's too much here with the, and they've they've tweaked some of the things. And I think now, personally, I feel going back to that style of play, which is the playing with lost troops and other options, is the strongest way to play Harleys. But you can still play those Void Weavers if you want to. You just won't get as many as you used to get. But they're still a great unit, even at their points cost now. They're still yeah. They still do a lot of damage and give you lots of options. So I think, I think they've actually done quite a good job with where how they dealt with Harlequins. It's in the in the update and the points. Um, and I'd say Harlequins are in a pretty good place now within the meta. They're not right at the top like Tyranids are and Eldar, but they can still give those two a game, which I think is a good point. It's 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 a, always disheartening if you go to a table and think I've got no chance here. Whereas I think I think Harlequins generally say even. Tyranids, which is one of the hardest matchups, I say now, I can go to that game and go, well, actually, I can play Tyranids. Like, I played Tyranids round two, uh, Goonhammer, and it was a really tough game, but I, I managed to win. Because I, I went to that going, okay, this is my game plan, this is how I'm going to play, and I stuck to my plan, and it worked. That's great. Yeah. That's a great place for your army to be. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. I think right now, Harlequins are in a pretty good place. Thanks so much for coming on, Josh. Really appreciate having you. Yeah, I really appreciate the time, Nick. Always a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, everyone who has listened this far, sin- sincerely from the bottom of our heart, thank you for this, uh, subscribing for this part of the show. We'll be back next week talking about what's going to be on the tables. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. <laughs>